0: And go forever. I'm Eric Drews broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona and the Green Bay Packers went to Philadelphia yesterday and won a football game by the final score, uh, honestly quite impressively 27-13 to and Matt there are so many things we can say about this game and we'll talk about all of them but um, I've said before on this podcast that Or maybe I haven't, but nothing is worse than watching a losing football team. And I'm a big Brewers fan, as I've referenced many times. Uh, They've had two really rough seasons. And uh, this last year, the most uh, time they went between two losses was about seven days. The Packers haven't won in over a month uh, before yesterday. And so uh, to finally be able to win a game, uh, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of uh, whether or not certain uh, parts of the team looked impressive, you just... Maybe we took for granted how much fun it is to win, and uh, I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the season, but uh, I'm sure enjoying the victory Tuesday rather than the crushing, depressing loser Mondays that we've been having the last month.
1: Right, and not that I normally ask for it, but getting the win after four weeks of that, it kind of makes the wins feel sweeter than you know the last few years when we've been so good and you win, and it's just kind of like a relief that you did it, and now it actually feels like an event that you win a football <laughs> game. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, it feels good. They, they looked pretty solid and uh, there's not not too much to be disappointed about. You beat a team that was 500, so I I can't complain.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't want to get used to this feeling that wins feel that remarkable, but I don't want to try to lose. Hopefully they'll start winning again relatively soon, and and, uh, I don't want to lose sight of uh, maybe just appreciating the wins a little bit more. Uh, Granted, we had a stretch like this last year, but it wasn't quite uh, as uh, pathetic as it was this year. Right. Okay, so let's talk about that game, and... It started off quite interesting in that the first quarter was basically two possessions. It was uh, the Packers, uh, well, I I guess three. Uh, The Packers scoring a touchdown, Philadelphia responding right down the field, scoring a touchdown, and then the Packers doing the same thing right back and uh, going up 14-7. to And I don't know about you, Matt, but this offense... We've discussed it, at least last week, that this offense hasn't quite been the problem. It's taken them a while to get warmed up, but they've played well for about a month. And uh, the stats bear that out. Aaron Rodgers had his... um Third consecutive 300-yard game. It's the first time he's done that since that ridiculous stretch in mid-2014 when they lost that shootout at New Orleans and then they crushed the Bears and Eagles in back-to-back weeks. And it's actually just the third time in his entire career that he's had three straight 300-yard games. And he also had his sixth straight game with multiple touchdown passes, which is the third longest streak in his career. So the offense has been cooking for about a month as that the statistics bear out, but it seemed to me that they were deliberately trying to slow themselves down a little bit and be a little bit more methodical in an effort to help out their defense early on.
1: Yeah, I would completely agree with that, and I think to your first point, I think the offense sure feels like it's it's somewhat back to what it was, and it just, those yips or just blatantly bad throws by Rodgers or strange decisions kind of seem to have gone away, especially over the last two weeks, so that's got to be a really good sign for this team because we won that game Last night, kind of like we've been winning games in the past, you know, you can put up 27 points, your defense can hold a little bit, you're good to go. Um, a couple of touchdown throws, 300 yards, that's great. This is kind of like 2013 Packers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you got to feel great about that.
0: Yeah, and I think it's still relatively weird because they have no running game to speak of. James Stark certainly gave him a lift compared to what they had uh, been dealing with uh, a little bit more recently, but... To see them, those receivers really step up, and, and Randall Cobb had six catches for not too many yards, but they were all effective. Jordy Nelson, eight catches for 91 yards. Devontae Adams, five catches for 113 yards and two touchdowns. Um, this receiving core is really starting to gel into their new roles, which, shockingly enough, uh, if we look back a month ago, features Devontae Adams as their clear-cut number 1 receiver.
1: Yeah, isn't it weird how that's kind of come about? He's an absolute beast all of a sudden and just a monster. We kind of talked about it last week too, how it's been a complete flip from the beginning of the year where he's the worst player on the roster and all of a sudden he's the best player on the team now. And I think they've, they've finally done what we've been asking them to do for a year and a half, if not more, and that's just get a little more creative with these guys and the routes that they're running. And it's really paid off, especially for Adams. And you kind of get get Nelson more in his comfort role. You get Cobb more in the slot running these short routes. He can use his athleticism. It just seems like they're doing you know smarter routes, not just flying everybody down the field, nobody's open, take a sack or throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. It's it's They're being creative. They're coaching well. I don't know if McCarthy's coaching like his hair's on fire and his job's at stake, but it seems like you know the offensive mind is starting to come out a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it looks like an actual offense with yeah. real routes, and um, we saw some bunch formations, and we saw some... Scheming, trying to get guys open Or to create better one-on-one matchups And for the end of last year And the early beginning of this year It just looked like Everybody go deep It it was your basic recess type offense Is what it looked like to the layman And obviously it's more uh, in-depth than that But um, yeah, it it was good to see a lot of those things And really using each of those guys In their own unique way Getting Ripkowski involved quite a bit yesterday uh, Comparatively to what he has been doing in his career He got his first career touchdown the the thing I wanted to ask is Adams. I know we kind of marveled over him a bit last week and we apologized to him the week before, but the change has been so um, stark and I just am not quite sure why. Uh, The only thing I could say is we had criticized him or I I had about him not seeming to like contact and to be almost conceding the ball when anybody would challenge him for it, and you don't see that anymore. And I don't know if that's a mentality or a comfort level or perhaps there was an undisclosed injury, but I'm not quite sure how he was able to flip the switch like that seemingly overnight.
1: Yeah, it's really, really bizarre. And I I think Gruden kind of alluded to it a little bit last night. He he mentioned how it seemed like he was getting out of his brakes faster and um, just – running better routes and I don't really know if it's an athleticism increasing kind of a thing it almost seems like more of a comfort thing it almost seems like he was kind of in a similar thing to Rodgers as he was in sort of a little bit of a funk he wasn't comfortable out there the ball's in the air he wasn't you know going for it properly he was making mistakes it just seems like for whatever reason um, it took him like a year and a half to kind of get back to his comfort level as a rookie and feeling comfortable running routes I mean he clearly has the athleticism to do it we always knew that but it's just he didn't look like a receiver before no and now the athleticism's there, and he's making elite receiver type plays, running great routes, making great catches. It's it's almost like all of a sudden it's kind of clicked for him out of nowhere.
0: I'm still going with the theory that I saw him at Wingstop. He struggled yeah. to even use that uh, soda machine where he got like 30 options. He was he was having trouble to the point where he even said to the lady next to him that he was having a hard time figuring it out. So I think. Not being able to use a soda machine after the start of this year probably uh, made him hit rock bottom, and he rededicated himself. A wake-up call, yeah. That that would be a wake-up call for anyone, uh, I would (laughs) think. Uh, You mentioned John Gruden, and I I didn't know where to put this in, but uh, he is so much fun to listen to. And I know he's kind of a ham and and whatever, but there's so many of these Jim Nance and Phil Sims kind of guys in the NFL nowadays, and even Buck and Aikman, who I really like, they just don't seem to have that... Unrestrained joy of being able to watch football like John Gruden does and it's almost like a Dick Vitale kind of uh, energy where or uh, Bill Rafferty where they just love watching the sport that they're covering, and the NFL really has been sorely missing that from uh, ever since John Madden left, and I don't watch Monday Night Football all that much because I tend to get a little bit sick of football after watching it all day Saturday and Sunday and with Thursday Night Football, so this was really probably the first Monday Night Football game that I watched beginning to end, and I just forgot, uh, even though he's not... Uh, Got very good chemistry with Sean McDonough. I think Gruden, uh, I wish he had a little bit more prominent role and could do some playoff games because he's a lot of fun to listen to, in my opinion.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I think he's by far the best color commentator that there is out there. It's not only the enthusiasm thing, which is great. I think this is like the perfect role for him. He's he's so good at it. But on top of that, too, and kind of getting you excited in the game, he just... I know all these other guys have been involved in football, but he seems so much more football intelligent than, like, yeah. say, like, a or an Aikman or whatever. It's like he's actually talking about coaching-type things that I'm very interested to hear, yeah. and maybe the casual fan doesn't care about that stuff, but I love when he breaks down the plays and actually kind of goes in-depth on things, and not just the basic, wow, what a great play, you know, kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I absolutely love when he does that, and it, there was a, I can't remember, I think it was even Mike Mayock, he was a kind of a bad announcer. I think he used to do the Thursday night games.
0: Yeah, he, was, he was explosive sort of, as an announcer. Yeah, he would
1: sort of do that too, though, and I enjoyed it. It's like he would kind of go more into the details on stuff and some of the finer finer things. Where if I just listen to Matt Millen or Brian Billick, I just can't like barely handle watching the game.
0: And I like Chris Collinsworth is a guy I really like, but you're right. When it gets in crunch time of the game, Gruden really starts even more focusing on some subtleties that you might not have noticed. In in a way that Madden did a lot of those things too. Where oh, look at this guy, how he got positioning and opened that hole. Whereas uh, Chris Collinsworth would be like, "Ha ha! Tell you what, look at you don't see holes like this every day, right? You exactly. know, <laughs> stuff like that." Yeah. Um, and in contrast, in the pregame show. Um, and this is a little bit different, because they do break down on the ESPN pregame show, which I really like, is they don't get that many good games, but they tend to just focus on their game, and they they do some stories on um, the the guys who are going to be playing that night, and it really does a nice job of getting you excited for the game, rather than Fox and CBS, I feel like I'm watching TMZ before the games half the time, it's, it's just all a bunch of junk, but... Um, watching Trent Dilfer break down different things and he was kind of criticizing Carson Wentz and saying oh these are basic throws and he should be able to make these and um talking hey Matt and Steve we all know that this is a throw right here you got to do this when you see this coverage and it, it sounds so stupid because I have no uh football experience um and to hear him talk like that it just drives me nuts and I wonder if uh Steve Young especially wants to be like, yeah, Trent, uh, I can't believe that someone would do that. He's playing exactly like you played for your whole career. And when he tries to say like, oh yeah, like all of us and Hassel and, uh, Steve Young's probably thinking, oh yeah, I remember when I made that play when I was MVP and Steve and uh, Joe Montana was my backup quarterback that year. Or Matt Hasselbeck's like, oh, I remember you pointing that out to me while I was starting and you were on the bench. Like, it's just irritating to hear him kind of get on these guys when you have a, basically a perennial pro bowler in Matt Hasselbeck, and then a, uh, one of the greatest 10 quarterbacks of all time, arguably, and Steve Young sitting at the desk next to him.
1: I know, it is funny, especially for us. I mean, for a younger person, they probably don't care, but for us to have seen his career and this, too, I completely agree. Oh, he's kind of, you know, when he gets critical of people, it's like, he's off, uh, mostly considered the worst quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. and, for a reason, and I mean, he, he was not a very good pro. He maybe had, you know, one or two good years, so it, I agree with that. It, I mean, it's his job. He's probably good at that. Maybe he's a better film breakdown and a coach now, but it, yeah. it's hard for when it's, like you said, just breaking down just this, these are basic throws. I mean, he struggled yeah. with that a lot, threw a lot of interceptions and made some bad throws throughout his career.
0: His M.O. in Tampa Bay is, this guy is so smart and understands the game so well, it's a complete mystery why he sucks so bad. Uh, that was kind of the reason they stuck with him so long, is because he was such a good preparer and he was a good teammate and he knew what to do. And then he'd go out there and he just couldn't execute it. And uh, it, it's—I don't know. I mean, that shouldn't preclude him from pointing out those things. But it's funny when you got a two-time NFL MVP and, a, and another guy who was really, really good, especially in his prime, and then you got Trent Dilfer, who once had a season where he had four touchdowns and eighteen interceptions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and the last thing uh, while we're talking about this stuff is. I really wish that the Sunday night football and Monday night football quality of games would switch back, and I'm sure it's part nostalgia, but... I think by Sunday night, I'm really getting tired of watching football, and I usually, if I have it on, I'm muting it or I'm reading something else. And I miss having the marquee game on Monday, where you get a little recess and a chance to recharge your batteries, and then sit down for a new game, especially with it with its own pregame show that just talks about the game you're about to see. I uh, uh, maybe it's part of the way that ESPN presents it, but um, I, I would really be in favor of switching that back.
1: Yeah, I agree. I... I, th- I think you're right, because by the time if you don't get a great game on Monday, I'm, I mean, I'm basically not watching or just watching a part of it. And I, I think NBC might do a little better job presenting it to kind of make it feel like a bigger game as well. Yeah. I, th- I think that has a lot to do with it. Because it, right, these days it doesn't really matter if you're on whatever national TV or cable TV, it's all this, everybody's got everything anyways. So mm-hmm. it, it's not like that matters at all. But I, I agree, if the Monday night game's not great, I'm generally not going to be watching much of it. Whereas when they used to have, you know, Always had you know Brady or Manning or whatever back in the day Favre on Monday Night Football every week it seemed like you always wanted to tune in and it's kind of like the main event.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a great way to put it. It is the main event. You get kind of a chance to. And I understand why they don't do it, because they, they wanted the flex option. That last few years that they had it on ABC, they got burned real bad a few times in December, just having... I remember one... It actually turned out to be a really entertaining game, but I remember they had Billy Volek's Titans after they had a free fall, and then the it, it was a matchup of a team that the Chiefs, who were 13-3 and three the year before, and then the tw- Titans, who were 12-4, and four, and I think once the game happened, they had seven wins combined, and it was like late. But, uh, it, you know, I, I can understand why they do it, but uh, that doesn't mean I have to think it's my favorite arrangement.
1: Yeah, your best game is always either at 3.30 or the Sunday nighter these days. I mean, it's never really anything different than that.
0: Yeah, and I think they try to do that on purpose. Like Even when you look at the preseason Monday night matchups, they don't make a great effort to put great games on Monday night anymore. I mean they'll stick your Tennessee and and uh Tampa Bay and and teams like that on Monday night cuz I think they're just trying to fill out I think there's something in this the uh contract that every team has to have one nationally televised game and usually those get stuck on Thursday and Monday to try to avoid putting the actual bad teams in those time slots you mentioned. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that Packer defense. And they definitely struggled early on in the game, and they kind of changed and played much better. Clay Matthews got hurt for a while and then was able to come back. Um, Demarius Randall playing his first game in about a month and so there was definitely some rust and some injuries that they fought through. Uh, the final statistics ended up looking quite good in that uh, Philadelphia only had 292 yards of total offense. They had just 20 first downs. The Packers uh, had four sacks. They forced a turnover uh, less than 50% on third down, So uh, and a time of possession victory of 11 minutes for the Packers. So that's all very impressive. But my question for you is, do you think this was the product of the Packers' defense adjusting and finding uh, maybe a new way that could help them the rest of the season, or is that skeleton crew of the Philadelphia Eagles with a uh, rookie quarterback on a downslide more to blame for that uh, that performance of the Packers' defense?
1: Yeah, I think it's definitely both. And When we were making our predictions last week, the thing I liked about playing this team is they didn't have the downfield threat, and it's... It's kind of the textbook NFL offense now, which is a lot of checkdowns. They seemed like they were getting good chunks of yards throughout the game and, like, these little dump-offs to Sproles. But they just weren't converting to points at all. So it, mm-hmm. you, they got absolutely gashed in the first quarter. And I'm like, oh, here we go. It's going to be a 40-50 to 50 game. But they really clamped down and looked pretty good. So I like that you see... Uh, you know, a few more regulars out there on defense. Like you said, you got to see Rand back. The safeties were were playing pretty well. You got your guys up front. Clay stayed around for most of the game, so it just it it felt more of a normal Packers team and a normal Packers defense with some of those guys. And you don't expect them with some of those players back to get gashed quite as bad either. So mm-hmm. I think they played well, but I don't think that Eagles offense is much to write home about either.
0: Yeah, and I would agree. Obviously, it's it's the truth is somewhere in the middle. I tend to maybe give more credit to the Eagles for just being bad and having almost all of their skill position players gone. It really was Carson Wentz and uh, Darren Sproles was really all they had to work with last night. And I guess uh, Ertz as well. But it it was just kind of a weird game. And I think, I don't know if they changed anything or with Clay Matthews in the middle that uh, Wentz looked a little bit off. And I know he's a rookie and uh, he's been kind of on the downslide since about, what, October started. But, um You still see some weird stuff. It's still so open in the middle of the field, and it seems like it's always going to be that way with Dom's defense. And uh, kick back to what John Gruden said is when the Packers were getting gashed earlier on in the game, he brought up the great point that really kind of lends itself to what we talked about last week about maybe Ted Thompson being more to blame. He says this defense has a ton of first-round picks. Why are they so darn bad? And a lot of those guys played better, but still you saw some. You had one play where... Carson Wentz jukes Demarius Randall, and outruns Clay Matthews. And then I think Darren Sproles, it might have been Morgan Burnett, but I think he trucked Morgan Burnett and ran him over like little Darren Sproles. It's, there's just still something to be desired from a talent standpoint on this defense.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. I kind of loved when he made that point on air, too. It's like, yes, that's what Eric and I have been saying for a long time now. And it's like now it's on national TV. It seems like people are starting to notice, and the pressure's on a little bit here. But, I mean, some of the names he mentioned, too, as the first-round picks, you're like, ugh. You're like, he's naming all these first-round picks, but you're not like, yeah, these are elite players. Hold on, they're recruited. Yeah. And it was like, the, you know, Dayton Jones and stuff, and Nick Perry, and you're like, eh, yeah, we kind of blew it.
0: Yeah, Kenny Clark looks like he's going to fit right in line with those guys, and yeah, HaHa will make a play or two, but uh, he he seems to be destined to be no better than Darren Sharper. Um yep. ov- Obviously, he'll be a better person than Darren Sharper, who's finding himself uh, on the receiving end of a 20-year sentence today for all the Thanks. great things that he's done, but yeah, I I still don't expect this team to hold up once we, but Grant, what great offense do they play the rest of the season before the playoffs? They, they play Houston, who Brock Osweiler's terrible, throws fumbles the last time he was on Monday Night Football. Then you have Seattle, who always uh, tends to struggle offensively, um, especially on the road. And then you have your three division opponents, none of which are tearing up the world on offense. So it might be good enough to potentially get them back in the race, but uh, certainly uh, doesn't look like a great uh, team to go down and beat Dallas or beat the Giants again. All right, so speaking of those, uh, the rest of the schedule, the Packers are now two games out, and as stupid as it sounds to be two games out with five games to play, they're about in as good position as you could possibly be, having already beaten the Detroit Lions and Minnesota having three division losses. So that all the tiebreakers line up for the Packers to be able to take it from those teams if they were to finish with identical records. And they have some winnable games left on the schedule. So Matt was yesterday kind of a... uh just a nice little alleviation of the bleeding or was it something they could springboard themselves uh, towards an eighth consecutive playoff berth
1: well it's definitely the first and I'm hesitant obviously to say that this is a playoff team of any sort yet at this point after what we've seen the last four weeks but I I think it's definitely still possible and I mm-hmm. and, you know I, like you said I like this team against houston i like them against some of the other teams they play still i'm worried about the defense getting gashed but if they can keep you know adding another player back every week i, I think you might be okay I, I i don't think they're a super bowl contender at this point i don't think anybody would argue with me there unless they can really turn things around here but when the teams in front of you are detroit and minnesota i'm still feeling okay about some playoff hopes here
0: yeah and i would tend to agree with you if they beat Houston, I'll feel a lot better. And I think Detroit goes to the Superdome. Yep. And, uh, Minnesota has Dallas. So it's entirely possible that you could be a game back with tiebreakers potentially coming that'll put you both over both of those teams by this time next week. So I guess maybe I'm in a one week holding pattern, but the team that played yesterday definitely can beat four of the teams left on the schedule and potentially, uh, the way Seattle plays on the road and the way Seattle played on Sunday certainly gives you the impression that it's not out of the question for them to beat them either.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: Um, so we'll talk about more of that as we go forward. Um, I guess I don't have a whole lot more about this game other than, um, uh, yeah, the, the one thing for me that I noticed yesterday that, really irritated me is seeing Alan Barber out there it's a really little thing um, he kind of got exposed later in the game but he crushed Clay Matthews kind of held his own early on he he was a maybe a bully for the eagles but he was he couldn't block a light breeze when he was in green bay and you see guys like Breno Giacomini who i think uh, I, I think he's still in the league but he had some productive years with Seattle and a lot of these offensive linemen's who, uh, linemen's, uh, linemen who were just atrocious in Green Bay couldn't block defensive backs, and they go elsewhere, and then they stay in the league for years and years. And uh, it that's one of many spots, going back to talking about the defense, where for a team that hangs its hat on draft and develop, they're sure not very good at developing a lot of these guys.
1: See, and, and you mentioned yesterday with the offensive line coach, I might actually... I think I kind of disagree with you on this because I th- you see also guys like David Bakhtiari, who was a middle round pick and like almost, I mean, historically for the Packers for the last 15 years, we've been seeing them pick these middle round guys and they end up being very good. It's, yeah. you know, I, I agree with most of the roster spots, but in terms of like the guys you mentioned, Giacomini and especially Barber, they even said last night, he's like their third string right tackle. Okay. So it's, it's not like he's been great or anything like that. I mean, we're we're a pretty deep offensive line team with some pretty good starters. So I think you'll kind of you kind of lose those guys who are spot starters to other teams who want to put them in as their total starter. You know,
0: yeah, and I think there that's fair. So I, I probably picked some bad examples, and he probably had the best game of his life yesterday, just making one block. <laughs> but yeah, it just. Even those guys you mentioned, they are really nice players, and they've done well with them. And they've they've always seemed to have capable people in the line. And uh, heck, Lane Taylor still is is very very consistent. But those guys still kind of plateau. I mean, they're not quite what even the Packers' line was in two thousand three or anything like that. And granted, those were some really really good lines. But um, it seems like they can draft and develop guys. But they remember back when we. Broke down the Ted Thompson drafts versus the Ron Wolf drafts, and we ranked them all on a scale of 0 to 5, with 0 being no value and 5 being guys who were your stars and your core players for years and years. It's, it seems like Ted's draft and develop builds you a whole bunch of 3s. And I don't think you can win a lot of Super Bowls with a whole bunch of 3s unless you have more 5s and 4s than they, than they seem to be building lately.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, that's been our criticism of Ted for basically this whole year. Every time we've talked is that you just got no stars out of it. You've just got a whole bunch of guys like that that are going to be starters and would be okay going elsewhere and being starters. But you just, you got to get those fours and fives, and it's just, it hasn't happened.
0: Yeah, now we're, we might go on a little bit of a run here, so you don't even get the high draft choice. But I was starting to really get anxious about the idea of Ted Thompson being responsible for another top 10 pick. I, I just, I don't know if I trust him to do that he, he always wants to pick these unconventional guys that nobody's ever heard of and um, I was talking to uh, one of my uh, a co-worker on a former team that I used to be on and and we we talk about Packers a lot and he brought up how he thought Ted was kind of arrogant and that you can't possibly find this many diamonds in the rough and at some point you have to think that maybe some of the scouting departments of other teams are right and that not every demarius or not every guy is a demarius randall that is out of position a little bit or that you can fit into your system sometimes the pick is um, who's a good example? I don't know. Like Eddie Lacy's a good pick. He didn't seem to fit in the Packers' offense at all. And sometimes you just have to trust that the rest of the NFL is smart enough to also realize this guy is good and just draft him and make him your battering ram, even if you don't think you need one. And to to have such a high pick in the hands of Ted Thompson, it still could happen because they could lose out. But I don't know if the Packers were to get in the top ten this year that I. They're not going to do it for my benefit, but I just, I don't know if I trust Ted to, to make a splash with a high pick.
1: Is BJ the only one that we've had top 10 since they've been around? I mean, that was a pretty good pick. It wasn't great, but it was okay. AJ Hawk. Oh, AJ was also Ted. So I'm okay.
0: Yeah, AJ so, was his second pick.
1: I, he's kind of BJ Raji, too, right? They're both yeah. kind of right along that same line, not great, but okay, starters for a while.
0: And his first rounders have been really bad outside, uh, not bad, I mean, bad is strong.
1: There's been some bad.
0: <laughs> There's definitely been some bad, but who's the second best after Aaron Rodgers? Bulaga?
1: Yeah, yikes, I mean, he's a pretty good starter, but it's hard to imagine that'd be your second best. I mean, there was a couple of years where they kept trading back into the second round, but I can't think any... At Clay, I guess?
0: Oh, yeah, I guess Clay- But, yeah, Clay they traded back up to get, so Clay's... Yeah, Clay's definitely the second best, but I guess for some reason I don't... He's definitely a first-round pick, but he wasn't your your actual regular pick. And I guess the the one they did trade back completely out of the first round and negate having a first-round pick altogether, they got Jordy Nelson. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I was just trying to bring up something else to talk about. Since I don't have anything else to say about this darn game, I, I'm, I'm glad they won. And uh, I don't know what it means until I see him play again. Okay, so let's talk about a team that has a really important game this weekend. Uh, before we talk about the rest of the NFL, and that's the Wisconsin Badgers, who had uh, what looked to be a scare early on, where they fell behind the Golden Gophers seventeen to seven at Camp Randall, and then utterly dominated the second half, outscored them twenty four to nothing, forced four interceptions. So the Badgers now have to play Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game. The new rankings might be coming out as we are speaking, but probably will be out by the time you hear this. Uh, so we don't know exactly where the Badgers are in the college football playoff ranking. Last week they were sixth. I would expect they're probably going to stay at six with an outside chance to maybe slip back behind Penn State. Um, but do you think the Badgers will beat Penn State? and? Uh, do you think they have a realistic shot to make the playoffs, one? Um, and two, do you think they deserve it? If you were on that committee, would you put them in the top four?
1: Yeah, so the Badgers are at six. It just came out. Okay. So they are at six, just behind Michigan. So I, one, I do think they'll beat Penn State. And then two, I think they do have a realistic shot. I, I think the committee probably would want to lean towards not including them because I think their offense is boring and their two quarterback system is kind of rough. But... I think that they do have a pretty good opportunity. I think with a win, they, they vault Michigan. And I think if all you need is a Clemson or a Washington loss, they're in. Yeah. So I, I feel pretty confident in that. I think that they seem to like the Big Ten a lot. You've got three teams in the top six, and you get another win over a top ten team. I really think that they would have a hard time leaving them out. And I'd even be curious to see if, like, say, a Clemson or a Washington has a pretty rough game in their championship and the Badgers maybe blow out Penn State which I don't necessarily foresee, but I, you mm-hmm. would wonder if they could maybe vault one of those teams too. Probably not, but I think if they win and one of those teams loses, they're in.
0: Well, first of all, there's nothing boring about Bart Houston. The guy's terrifying <laughs> when he goes back to pass, but he at least seems to show some energy yeah. out there. But I know what you mean. They're definitely not the sexy pick compared to those other teams. And um, I, think, I think Washington's basically a lock with a win because they're going to beat the number nine team in the country in order to do that. Clemson, on the other hand, if they won against a bad, not bad, but a iffy Virginia Tech team by like a field goal or something, I could see, it's going to be tough because they were in the playoff last year and they've been so highly ranked, but to me, it would be easier to leave Clemson out than it would be to leave Washington out. Yeah, and I
1: don't think they're going to leave a team with Deshaun Watson out who would just fight Alabama tooth and nail last year for a Badger team, so I, I don't feel real confident in that either.
0: Yeah, but I, I totally agree, but that just seems kind of some dangerous reasoning because if you go back to last year, then people who want to build up Washington for what Penn State or uh, Ohio, ugh, I'm picking every team except the one they lost to, USC, the Badgers beat USC and never trailed against them last year in the bowl game. So I think, I I don't know, It's I, I almost wonder if the best scenario for the Badgers program would be to be number five, win decisively in the Big Ten Championship game, just get left out of the playoff, beat a team like Colorado decisively in the Rose Bowl, and then have Ohio State win the championship. So you can say, we went to overtime, maybe had some iffy calls that cost us the game in regulation to the team who eventually won the national championship, and then I think Wisconsin might get some preferential treatment when they come back to this level with perhaps a better offensive football team, and then uh, they'd get some sympathy votes. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe. I I obviously am dying to see them in the playoffs but you know there'll be four then most likely and you're going to have to play Alabama and I'm scared to death of that. If you kind of get shut down by Minnesota's defense for a half, I'm a little scared <laughs> of what you see against Alabama. You you probably get beat down pretty good, but I, I just really want to see him in there even though you're probably right.
0: Yeah, you're you're Wisconsin. You got to take these chances whenever you get them. Even if you get Michigan stated like uh happened last year, I think they they wouldn't regret having gotten gotten that opportunity and granted the Badger's offense or I'm I'm sorry, the Badgers' defense, I think, is much more athletic than that Michigan State defense of last year that got just rolled by Alabama. So I think they would have a chance defensively, but I don't think it would look, at best-case scenario, I don't think it would look all that different than their loss to Alabama at the beginning of last season. Sure. I did want to mention this as well. Uh, I found out, I have a lot of sports fans uh, where I work, and it's much more fun to talk about college football than it is to talk about n f l football, especially if you have uh f- friends who have a bunch of different rooting interests so i have there's uh people I talk to that cheer for Ohio State and for Michigan and Purdue and michigan state and and it's fun to have those little rivalries amongst each other, but because there's so many teams and they don't all play each other. It gives you more to talk about and more hypotheticals to debate. It's just way more fun. Like, in the NFL nowadays, it's like, well, I think the Packers are better than Atlanta. They're like, well, Atlanta beat the Packers. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, I guess that uh, debate's done.
1: Yeah, this – uh top four playoff thing that they came out with and i mean switching to the playoffs in general was great but this show that they have on tuesday nights in the debate on sports talk it's it's made it so much more fun to discuss this because it's not just between one and two and all these strange bowls anymore it's it's you know you have these four spots you have to fill and pretty soon we'll probably be eight Mm -hmm. it's just fun to discuss who's better than who because like you said all four you know all four of those teams likely come from different conferences so it's kind of cool
0: Yeah, and here's something that I just remembered today in anticipation for this little stupid side conversation that I wanted to have. I discovered this back about 10 years ago when I was uh, working in radio. There's a uh, website that uses the transitive property um, to determine which team is better than another team. And it's basically the schoolyard thing of, well, this team beat this team who beat this team. So Team A would beat Team C by whatever the difference in uh, margin was. And it's called myteamisbetterthanyourteam.com. And you can put in any two teams you want and then click this button that says prove it. And so right here, Wisconsin is better than Washington because they beat Nebraska, who beat Oregon, who beat Utah, who beat USC, who beat Washington. Um, and if you flip it which still proves Wisconsin is better than Washington. You need seven steps in order for the Huskies to be better than the Badgers. So I think that the College Football Playoff Committee should go to MyTeamIsBetterThanYourTeam.com to see definitively why the Badgers need to be in the playoff.
1: It's as good as any. I'll take it. Other, they always just—it's just eye test with them. Where this is, a, it's an actual real life thing. I'll take it.
0: Yeah, there we go. So uh, it's it's clear, definitive that the Badgers need to go into the playoff. Although just uh, messing around right here, um, I can let's see if I can make Western New Mexico better than the Badgers. Um, the website's too slow, so you'll have to play around <laughs> with that yourself. Okay. Um, there wasn't much else uh, going on that I really wanted to talk about other than. That Sunday slate of games turned out to have some gems in there, but that was as pathetic of a Sunday lineup as I remember seeing in a long, long time.
1: Yeah, I wasn't excited for much. And the only one that you really kind of look forward to is maybe Carolina-Oakland, which ended up being pretty good. But it, that even included a, a Carolina team that was, what, like 4-7 and seven or whatever. So yeah. it, uh, I don't know. Oakland's fun to watch, but, yeah, the rest of those games weren't weren't great.
0: Do you think Oakland will sustain this?
1: It sure seems like it. I, I mean, they're they're going to be that young team that probably goes into the playoffs and gets knocked off for their first playoff run, um, which seems to always happen. But I I do think this is a really good team. They got a lot of good young players. I I don't see why not. I don't really trust that defense much, but the offense is Derek Carr is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Always in the fourth quarter, he had a, two dislocated fingers yesterday, and he still did that. He still came back at the end of the game and won. He's just—he's got that thing about him that it just seems like you know you see with Brady and Favre and stuff, and he's—he's he's not there yet, but he, he always wins at the end of the games. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, I think he has a very legitimate argument as the MVP right now.
1: Yeah, I think he probably would be. I, I know a lot of people are going to talk about the Cowboys, but who do you take, Dak or the you know Ezekiel? Take, take Zeke. Yeah, it's tough. Whereas I think he's basically. Um, he's taken that offense to a a really high level, and his numbers are going to back it up, too.
0: Yeah, that's one thing. I think he's 22 touchdowns and 5 interceptions or something ridiculous like that, and um, I, I hope they 're able to sustain this. You wonder if, like Detroit, they play so close to everyone that they 're bound to to start losing you just that's that 's a pendulum that usually stays pretty close to the middle, and so eventually you would think you 're going to play that many close games you 're going to regress back to the mean it's it 's why we see the lions alternate between ten wins and four wins. It seems like the last five years because they play everybody so close that um, logically they should be seven and nine, nine and nine and seven every year, but you kind of get those wild swings. Um, this Oakland team is very good and exciting, and so I hope they can win because this has been a weird year, and it feels like it's it's been much like 1999 or, or 2008 or something where you've really reshuffled kind of the power structure of the league in some ways, and I'm just dreading that... The AFC Championship game is going to be Denver at New England, and then the uh, NFC Championship game is going to be Seattle hosting someone, and I just don't want to see that. I want to see something new, uh, especially with the Packers being down. Give me Raiders-Lions or something goofy like that.
1: Yeah, it, it sure seems like it should be something like that. It, it kind of reminds you of like that 2000 year where out of nowhere Baltimore and New York were in the Super Bowl and nobody would have predicted that, yeah. and they were gone after that for the next, <laughs> you know, however long. It, it feels like that kind of a year where you're just going to get two random teams in a weird Super Bowl and get a, kind of a weird champion.
0: Maybe the Dolphins?
1: Yeah, something like that. Maybe not
0: that weird. I don't know if I Yeah, that's too weird. But Tennessee, you could see Tennessee going on a weird run. Like, you could see a divisional playoff game being the Titans at the Raiders, which, um, you know, granted, that was, what, that was an AFC championship game 12 years or 14 years ago. But uh, you could just see some of those weird kind of matchups. Um, I think the Giants are probably going to win the Super Bowl the way things are going. That's really weird. Okay, so let's uh, make some rapid-fire picks of uh, Week 13. And we start out with actually a pretty good Thursday night football game, although Sam Bradford might be hurt. So you have the Cowboys at potentially the Sean Hill Vikings.
1: And have you been tallying the points here? Am I getting pretty close? I think I've got like 13 right the last two weeks.
0: So what I'll have to do is retally them because I fell way behind. Um, I haven't tallied them since I moved, so I have them all on my phone when we text them to each other. But I don't, uh, I don't have the score right now. But I would assume you're catching up because I've not been good lately, and I, I guess you've been doing well.
1: Yeah, I I make the same picks through work. I use the same picks I always make, and I've I've been on fire lately. Thirteen right, both of the last two weeks here, so oh I'm on God. a roll
0: here. So yeah, I'm, I want to recount. It sounds like you cheated.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, I didn't. I promise.
0: Okay, that's what they all say. Um, cow- Cowboys and Vikings. Who you got?
1: <laughs> uh, definitely
0: Dallas here. Uh, yeah, I, I I guess I'm rooting for Dallas too, so I'll I'll go for yeah. that. Uh, then we have the Lions at the Saints.
1: Uh, I'm gonna go Saints at home here. I. I Think they can pick apart that Detroit defense a little bit?
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, it must just really suck to be Drew Brees. He's going to lead the NFL in touchdowns this year. I think he's got uh, thirty touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's already got thirty six hundred yards, and they're five and six. Like they've yeah. somehow
1: put together like the worst defense I ever created for like four straight years now.
0: <laughs> yeah, it must. I mean, this guy should have. Probably at, Talk about a, the Packers being upset only having one championship. The, the Saints should be in the exact same boat. They should be really disappointed with what they've done to Drew Brees, but at least they were nothing before, unlike the Packers, so they probably right. don't feel quite as bad about it. I will pick the Saints as well. A Super Bowl rematch. The Rams at the Patriots. Jeff Fisher c- coming after the uh, all-time losses record. I don't know if you saw I posted that on the, uh, the uh, podcast Facebook page.
1: Yeah, and and he deserves it, I think.
0: Uh, I'm going to go Pats here. I'm going to go Pats as well. Um, Everybody should look at that because the numbers were hilariously ridiculous. Like It was something like he was going to have the most losses and and more. I'll open it up real quick. So he's going to surpass Tom Landry for the most losses in NFL history with 162, and he's done it in 81 fewer games. Nice. Impressive. Yeah, that's like three or four seasons. Uh, he has more losses than Don Shula has, despite coaching 10 fewer seasons' worth of games. <laughs> which is just, I don't understand how this guy keeps a job. All right, the Broncos at Jaguars. Speaking of guys who are going to lose their job, Gus Bradley.
1: Yes, absolutely, Broncos.
0: I will pick the Broncos as well. Uh, Trevor Simeon, do you think he's the long-term solution there? No, I don't. No. <laughs>
1: he's okay sometimes but i can't imagine with that defense in place they're gonna just settle for that maybe they try to push lynch in there at some point next year or something or pick somebody else up but i can't imagine that's their long-term solution
0: can they afford to go after somebody else though if they don't think lynch is the solution
1: yeah probably not it's gonna have to definitely be a guy like a ryan fitzpatrick or somebody like that
0: then you may as well just keep Simeon.
1: right yeah i agree
0: yeah, it's going to be weird. Uh, it'll be interesting. But I guess they still, their grand plan with Brock Osweiler a few years ago wouldn't have worked out anyways because he doesn't look good at all. No, yeah, he's prob- he's
1: worse than Simeon, it seems like. He's got a worse team around him probably, but I'd take Simeon now.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the 49ers at Bears. Please, Fox. I know you think there are a lot of Bears fans here, but please give us that Lions-Saints game instead of the Bears uh, 49ers if we get a Fox game opposite our CBS 1 o'clock kickoff.
1: Yeah, uh, this is a tough one. The 49ers have looked pretty good, but keep losing. Um, man, and Cutler's going to be out again. Matt Barkley, was. that was kind of fun to watch the Bears try to come back at the end of that game there, but I think I'm yeah. going to take San Francisco to get off of the losing streak.
0: Um, I'll take the Bears since they're at home. I don't think Kaepernick got hurt when he got that uh, doomsday device at the end of the game, did he? No, I, he seemed to pop right back up. Okay, so he's he'll probably be okay. I, I guess I'll just take the Bears. I think they they're more solid team, and uh, I mean "solid" being an incredibly relative term in this case. But um, they can at least run the ball a little bit, and San Francisco has like a historically bad run defense, so mm-hmm. they might be able to control the game on the on the ground, especially at home. The Kansas City Chiefs at Atlanta Falcons. This should be a good one.
1: Yeah, looking forward to this one. Um, man, that's tough. I, I guess I'll go with the Falcons. I think it's kind of a split here for me, though.
0: Yeah, this just seems like the kind of game that the Kansas City Chiefs are, are going to win and maybe ground the Falcons a little bit. And uh, It'll be interesting to see Peters versus Julio Jones in probably the biggest test of his young career. Yeah, uh, um, But I don't know. And, and for whatever reason, it always seems like Atlanta is losing these games to AFC teams. Uh, so I'll, I'll take the Chiefs. The Dolphins at the Ravens. I think the Ravens are still in control of their own destiny to win that division. Uh, yuck. Uh, I'll take Baltimore to finally... Uh, and this little mini hot streak the Dolphins are on.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think I'm buying this six-game win streak. I know it's for real it happened, but I I don't think they're a very good team and they haven't been playing very good teams so I'll pick
0: take Baltimore. Uh, just popped in my head when you said six-game win streak is that the Packers avoided uh, the mid-season slump as defined in the 1988 yearbook by uh, Pat Summerall that is yes. one of my favorite quotes ever when he says, the Packers saw a mid-season slump that saw them lose seven straight. I'm like, <laughs> That's not a mid-season. That's year. <laughs> yeah, that's a bad season when you lose that many in a row. But I was going to play that in the event that they lost seven straight, but now you'll just have to go uh, lurk on eBay and try to find that video yourself. Unfortunate. The Eagles at Bengals, two teams that are in a complete free fall.
1: Ooh, yeah. Um, I, I would probably have picked Philly before yesterday, but after how bad they looked and how banged they are, I think I'll take Cincy.
0: I think I'll agree with you, and at least Eagles fans can take solace in the fact that their guy is a rookie, and uh, Andy Dalton's playing the same way, and he's like a seven-year veteran. Agreed. He's terrible. The Bills at the Raiders. Uh, This should actually be a fun game. Uh, I'll I'll take the Raiders to sustain, but I could definitely see Buffalo winning.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll pick the Raiders again. I I think I picked against Oakland a couple times lately because he just assumed they got to drop one, and I thought Carolina would be that one, but they didn't. So I I think the Bills aren't any better than that, so Raiders.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. They're kind of a luckier version of the Carolina Panthers so far this year. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers at San Diego, which should be a fun game to watch. Tampa winning the uh, 14-5 matchup over Seattle, and uh, San Diego beating Houston on the road. Uh, ooh. I'll take the Chargers in this one because they've, they've been less up and down like Tampa Bay, but uh, this could be a really fun shootout.
1: Yeah, it should be good. I'll, I'll take the Chargers too. I just trust them to be a little more consistent.
0: The Giants at Steelers, which, ugh, I don't know, I keep wanting to think that the Steelers are a good team and I always want to call these marquee matchups, but I'm not convinced that the Steelers are really any good.
1: No, they haven't been lately, that's for sure. Uh, I, I guess i got to pick up them here, though. I don't really... You kind of feel the same way about the Giants. You feel like they're... Well, like the opposite, that you don't feel they're a great team, but they keep winning. And the Steelers, you think they're a good team, and they keep losing. But I, I think Pittsburgh versus that here.
0: And the Giants haven't lost since the Packers beat them, right? Yeah, I believe you're right. Uh, yeah, that just doesn't seem right at all. I don't quite understand it. Um, well, they got a decent defense. Yeah, it just seems... I don't know. I don't quite get it. I... It's a weird one, but I'll, I'll agree with you. I think uh, Pittsburgh's going to win this one. The Redskins at the Cardinals, uh, Arizona's terrible, and uh, I'm at least impressed enough with that Redskins offense. Uh, they, they looked pretty good against Dallas, as competitive as, as anybody's looked in a while against them. So I think the Redskins have a really good shot at uh, being a wild-card team, and I kind of hope they, they will because they're an exciting young team to watch, and uh, I think they'll take care of Arizona, who is uh, really kind of having a crisis of identity right now.
1: Yeah, the Cardinals stink, but I'm pick them for some reason here. I don't know. I like them at home and I just I feel like they've I just can't believe that the t- same team basically that has been so good the last two years is this bad. I I think they get this one here.
0: Well, it's easy to figure out Carson Palmer like That's aged awful. 10 years. Yeah. He, he aged 10 years between beating the Packers last year in Week 16 and playing Seattle in Week 17. He's, yeah. he's been brutal since then. It's it's just strange. But I guess you that's more of the norm for an old quarterback. I think people expect you to be more like Tom Brady, but you would think him and Breeze are going to have that sooner or later and start being having the, the Favre or the Palmer or the Manning where just overnight you stink and it'll probably come later, but you would think that's going to happen to those two guys relatively soon, at least in the yeah. next two years. Mm-hmm. It's almost going to be satisfying, is it? Yeah, probably. So just watch Tom Brady kind of struggle out there? Yeah, I, don't know. I know.
1: it's it's You almost can't even fathom it.
0: No, you really can't. You just figure he'll play like three more years and win another Super Bowl and then retire, but um, we'll see. The Panthers at Seattle, which for some reason is still the Sunday night football game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could still be a good game. I'll take Seattle at home, though.
0: Uh, I will agree as well. And on Monday night football, the... Colts, hopefully not with Scott Tolzien, but as late as uh, yesterday evening, Andrew Luck was still in concussion protocol, heading to the Meadowlands to take on those uh, incredibly impressive New York Jets.
1: Yeah, this one could be really bad if if Luck isn't playing. Um, I I don't think the Colts can win a game this year probably without Luck the rest of the year. Um, The team is just so bad. I guess I'll take the Jets just on the chance that he doesn't play.
0: Yeah, I'm going to agree with you as well. Scott Tolzien, I don't quite understand it because he looks like he has all the tools, but whenever he actually gets to play, he just looks really bad.
1: Well, and that's the worst roster, basically, for a quarterback to be on this year. That line is so bad. There's not much talent. There's a little bit at receiver, but the defense and the offensive line are so bad. It's really hard for anybody to succeed in there, much less, if not, Andrew Luck, who's just uber-talented. He's even made look, look average on that team.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. So with all of the... Uh, praise that I heaped upon Monday night football. We spent 10 minutes talking about how great we thought that presentation was and Gruden was and and how we wish it was more important. I will not be watching that game next Monday night. I can't see that happening. Okay, so that uh, about wraps up our coverage of the Packers uh, this week, a finally winning game and our picks for Week 12. We will make picks for the Packers um, before we wrap up, but I wanted to get to a couple of comments that we had on the Facebook page. I asked the same question that I asked Matt. Was yesterday the beginning of a run towards the playoffs or a temporary stoppage of the bleeding? Uh, Daniel Johnson says very quickly, temporary stoppage of the bleeding. And uh, Eric Hansen says, first, let me say, as a fan, it was nice to actually see the Packers win a game for the first time in what seems like an eternity. But looking at this objectively, I still don't feel any differently about this team's chances than what I did a few weeks ago. They still have way too many holes to be a serious contender. While they had a nice win last night, they were also helped by playing an average team with a first-year head coach and quarterback. And the Packers definitely got some questionable calls that went their way. Considering their current record, their schedule, and moving forward, which includes three division games in Seattle, I still think they, at best, they finish nine and seven. More realistically, though, I see. Them finishing eight and eight, or maybe even seven and nine. Um, I agree with a lot of what you said, Eric. I, I don't think either of us believe Packers are a serious contender either, but maybe it's because of the teams left on their schedule and how little confidence I have in Minnesota or Detroit winning out. That I, I, I think the Packers have a legitimate chance to win this division, and uh, you know, even eight and eight could potentially win this thing. I think right, and also the you did bring up a first year head coach with Philadelphia. Was that the stupidest challenge you've ever seen in history? A coach? (laughs) It's his second challenge in the third quarter to turn a second and eight into a second and ten.
1: Yeah, I I wonder if he was asked about that in the press conference. You would imagine he probably was. I'd love to hear his reaction to that because that was completely foolish and the announcers couldn't believe it. Nobody could seem to understand what he was doing there.
0: Yeah, I I don't quite understand why. I mean, who cares? It's two yards. It's... uh... And you're
1: not in the, you know, by the goal line or anything It was basically an irrelevant two yards It was the most pointless challenge I've ever seen
0: Yeah, right in the middle of the field And to use your second challenge to be completely out of challenges After that was just hilarious But I guess that's He, he comes from the Andy Reid uh, coaching tree So we should they expect <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yep. that's what they're trained to do Okay, so uh, I'm all out of anything to talk about You done, Matt? I'm done Did you avoid squash on Thanksgiving? Yeah, squash-free. It was great. Oh, nice. I still ate a bunch of corn, but what can you do? Uh, We're actually going to have another Thanksgiving in our uh, house in a couple weeks, so then maybe I'll – I'm actually going to be cooking the turkey, so maybe I can just say, no corn. I'll just set the menu right now. No corn. No corn. Corn Corn-free. All right, so I hope everyone else has a corn-free week as well. Um, If you have anything to say about the podcast, you can do so at Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can leave a comment beneath it on uh, greengoldforever.podbean.com where you're likely listening to this. If not, that's our website. I uh, have some blog posts on there as well as our complete archives. Uh, the easiest way to follow the podcast on the go is to uh, follow the Green and Gold Forever Podcast on iTunes or, uh, which is even the best option, would be to download the Podbean app uh, where you can follow Green and Gold Forever. The iTunes app is great, but you only get about the last 10 episodes where on the Podbean app, You get complete access to our entire archives all the way back to 2012. So uh, check that out. And uh, hopefully it's not just a temporary stoppage of the bleeding. And uh, this will be the beginning of a 2013-esque run towards the playoffs where we can at least extend the Green Bay Packers streak of being in the playoffs to an eighth consecutive year. Um, If not, at least gives us one more week of football that isn't completely pointless. So uh, let's... uh, hope for that. Let's hope for a big Badgers victory and some chaos amongst the other contending teams in the playoff, and uh, hopefully we'll have a real exciting December ahead of us here in the state of Wisconsin. So uh, for that, uh, for Matt and Altoona, I'm Eric in Appleton. Take care, everyone.